You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely. Therefore, the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Business, a podcast series for SMEs. Join us for insights from inspirational business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts on key topics of importance to your business. Welcome to the very first episode of our new podcast series, Inspiring Progressive Business. My name is Dan Roberts, and I am the Global Head of Business Banking at HSBC. And I'm delighted to welcome today, Andy Klump, Andy is the CEO and founder of Clean Energy Associates. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. It's great to be on. I'm pleased to host this very special episode of this podcast. It's not only the first in the series, but it comes just ahead of our Drive 2021 virtual event for small to medium-sized businesses. And I'm really excited by the fact that this is one of the world's largest events where businesses from around the world will have the opportunity to connect and grow their own networks and hear from some renowned speakers and experts across topics that matter to them most. The topics that our customers have told us they want to talk about are sustainability, international trade, and the rise of the digital economy. Therefore, I'm particularly excited today to be getting into this conversation with Andy, who has a wealth of experience across all three of these areas. And I'm sure he'll be sharing many interesting viewpoints as we get into the discussion. So Andy, if I may, please tell us a bit about your business and your own journey. Yes, absolutely. No, I'm very happy to uh, once again be invited to to speak today. Just at a high level, for those not familiar with Clean Energy Associates, we are a global technical advisor that provides comprehensive engineering solutions to the solar PV and energy storage industries. So I founded the business in 2008, first in Hong Kong and then later in uh, Shanghai. We now have established uh, teams in 13 countries globally and have over 145 professionals, most of which are engineers and inspectors making sure that all of our clients have access to unfettered knowledge of their supply chain, total transparency and traceability of, of the products they're receiving, and then engineering support at the product levels or at the site level for both uh, solar and energy storage. Great. And, and Andy, I guess, you know, front of mind for, for all businesses around the world has obviously been the twists and turns of the COVID pandemic over the past year or so. You're based in Shanghai and China was there at the start. Can you tell me how clean energy weathered against the backdrop of the pandemic? Absolutely. Well, we feel uh, very fortunate that we're in a very strong position, not only our niche, but I think the team we have uh, in place has been extremely helpful to really pivot. Uh, Once again, when the pandemic occurred, I was actually outside of China. Uh, I am based in Shanghai, uh, where I have been for the last 13 years. But at the time the pandemic took place, most of our team were in their respective countries. And certainly it was a a challenge to forecast and predict what was going to happen and the impact of the business. But we have a team that that has been working remotely for a number of years. So we actually had all our communication tools in place. Uh, We had a high investment in IT infrastructure that really was seamless. So in terms of the communication of our business, there really wasn't any problem in terms of communicating up and down the organization. The biggest challenge was traveling around amidst restrictions, trying to execute work in various factories that all of a sudden were closed or had very extreme levels of precaution to allow any external parties in. We ended up having to conduct some of our typical factory audits 
and a remote platform. And we found some of our digital tools were very helpful to executing that work. But really, finance part of the supply chain challenge was only a temporary one or two month phenomenon at the early part of 2020. And then as the pandemic spread throughout the world, our teams ended up executing a lot of work from our desk and amidst other travel restrictions. But we were able to still visit sites and execute work across many countries around the world. So I feel very fortunate that our team has stayed together, been very resilient. And we actually have grown and expanded our, our overall footprint. So we started last year at roughly 125 professionals, and now we're up to 145. So I'm very excited to see that we've actually grown during this period. Yeah, fantastic. And Andy, so you, you mentioned, obviously, things like site visit is an important part of your of your business and different parts of the world or different times, you know, because of the pandemic, that, w- that won't have been possible. And you also mentioned traceability through supply chains being one of the one of the areas that you as a business focus on and again that the nature of how that's done i imagine has had to adapt very rapidly to to changes given the the lack of travel for many of us tell us a little bit more about how how did you adapt to a situation where some of those things that you were historically relied on weren't available anymore so just once again to explain a little bit more about what we do without any of the fancy language i'll say we help people make buying decisions we then send inspectors to the factories where the products are being made. And then as those products are shipped around the world uh, to various uh, job sites, we have teams that visit those job sites and ensure that the products are installed and uh, performing properly. Uh, So that is our core work as a a technical advisor. And then a final group of us uh, just basically analyzes all the data of the 85 gigawatts of solar projects and the four gigawatt hours of energy storage projects that we've executed on. But once again, the the challenges of logistically moving teams around between different countries that have travel restrictions, that was a challenge, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, We we had limitations and there were times where a team had to quarantine two weeks going into a country. And then once again, returning to their home country was another two week quarantine. So from a standard project, we may have a, a two week project or a two day project or sometimes a two month project so all of a sudden, adding four weeks to travel time of just sitting in quarantine, that absolutely was a, a challenge. But not every, uh, not every team had to travel across uh, international borders because we have teams in 13 countries. We actually just started to build those teams uh, more organically within the countries where they were teams needed to be. So we added resources throughout the year, but we already had teams that were in presence uh, in those different locations. So they were ensuring that we had the light culture, we had the right skills and capabilities, we could evaluate those folks. But I'll certainly say one of our core markets, for example, is the US. Yes, I mean, those were certainly times where we were just coming out of the first wave that the teams had to travel with PPE and a high degree of caution. Uh, We had team members who ended up driving across four state lines, a thousand miles to reach a certain site to do an on-site inspection of a rooftop, for example. So there were others who chose to actually rent a, a mobile home and actually, rather than staying in a hotel, they felt it was safer to be in a, a mobile home that they rented. And so that worked fine as well. I love the uh, the dedication of your team. It's amazing, actually. That's fantastic. A- absolutely. And that that's absolutely, I think, one of the things that differentiates us. And once again, as a, a small business, you know, we rely on having a, a very strong culture, but our team is absolutely committed to serving our clients and they, uh, they really performed above and beyond on many different fronts uh, throughout the past, uh, the, the period of the pandemic. 
No, it sounds like it. Fantastic. So Andy, I'm not an expert in this field of solar energy and, and energy storage, but I, I do see in the news there's been, you know, immense change in, in this space ongoing. There are, you know, announcements of tech companies building big energy storage facilities. You know, we see we read about the falling costs of batteries in developments and things like solid state battery and so forth. So for those of us like me who you know who maybe don't work in this field, what, what would you say would be some of the key themes that we as kind of just generally interested business people should know about and think about uh, in this space? Well, I, I will definitely say one of the, the key trends is the adoption of both energy storage and solar by many of the large corporates. We see corporate buyers shifting entirely to renewable energy. Uh, many of the larger tech firms, as we all know, have shifted to be a part of the RE100 and uh, are pledging to use a 100% renewable energy. Uh, some companies such as Microsoft have even gone beyond that pledge and trying to bring carbon neutrality back to the time that they were founded. So I, I think the ongoing demand that we see around the globe is really transformative and really driving a lot of folks towards sustainability. But, and it's also, a, I think, an issue where the technology is changing dramatically. So we see this very clearly because we have a 70 plus person team in China and in uh, half a dozen other countries throughout Asia. But once again, the amount of supply chain innovation that's happening, the amount of technology rapid ramp up of manufacturing facilities, we see that that brings a lot of innovation where you see alternative chemistries or new approaches to manufacturing, but also creates challenges. And so that's part of the solution that uh, CEA brings to the table is that Clean Energy Associates, we believe that we're helping our clients and partners deploy solar and storage solutions worldwide by ensuring that they have full uh, transparency into the, their tr the traceability into the supply chain. We know the components, we know the manufacturing processes, and we ensure that our clients receive the products on time as they expect uh, performing at the levels that they need. So all those trends, I think, really talk to the fact that the uh, need for supply chain transparency is very important in this industry. And, and Andy, you, you mentioned obviously a lot of the large corporate buyers are, are sort of making these switchover policy decisions. Um, a lot of the people listening to this podcast will be from smaller and mid-sized businesses. Are you, you know, to, to what extent are you seeing some of that trickle down into SME space? And are you seeing a trend in terms of adoption of sustainable business operations at, at that end of the market as well? Or, or do you think that's coming? Oh, I, we, we absolutely see a full adoption of a broader industry trend uh, towards to any user. And once again, that could even be on the residential level, not just in the small to mid-sized uh, enterprises who operate in the, you know, either a small factory or a small facility with one rooftop. I think the overall demand for uh, clean and sustainable energy is, uh, is really goes throughout the entire set of consumers, both on the residential level, as well as mid-sized businesses and on the large corporates. I think one of the reasons that that trend is pervasive right now is the fact that costs have come down dramatically. I remember once again in my 15 years of working in the solar industry, back when uh, you know the core product, the solar panel itself, uh, cost uh, in 2008 at the peak uh, over $4.75 a watt. The, the same price point it, for a more advanced product with really 3x the amount of power on a per density basis has now dropped by 95%. So the fact that solar is more cost competitive than a traditional uh, thermal facility, then it's, it's absolutely being adopted on a large scale basis. And so once again, there still are some inefficiencies in the delivery mechanisms to reach you know, every corner of the world. But 
a part of the, the work we do is working with clients across many different markets. We've had client projects in over 60 countries globally. It just shows you there's such a wide market adoption, not just from a small to mid-sized enterprise level, but also from a geographic distribution as well. And if you were, I mean, if you were giving advice to SMEs who are starting their journey, thinking about how they switch over to sustainability, are there any sort of pointers you'd give a business that's kicking off on this journey in terms of where to start? What are the key things to think about? I would, uh, from a business operations standpoint, part of the advice I'd give to any uh, small entrepreneur is please define the, your culture up front. And I think the businesses that are in the sustainability sector are in a very fortunate position. There are many mission-driven individuals that are out there seeking enlightened companies that want to make a difference in the world. We uh, really firmly believe our, our core purpose is aligned with uh, creating a better future. And so everyone who comes in our doors is certainly aligned with that cultural dynamic. So ensuring that your cultural values are clearly articulated is extremely important. I also advise to many folks to hire a business coach. There were so many things that I did not know as a small entrepreneur. It just took me painful periods of time to learn and improve and, uh, and to correct old bad habits that I just never had as a small entrepreneur, which I, I developed at, at larger corporations. But you know, once again, for anyone involved in the, the sustainability sector, I would just say, you know, define your niche very clearly, make sure that your value add is, is closely aligned with the needs of your customers. And really, especially at the early stage of a company growth and development, make sure that you're listening to your customers. But once again, that you you build that same culture throughout the whole team. And I think that's why you know, one of the core values of Clean Energy Associates is unending curiosity. And so that natural curiosity exists, I really think, throughout our organization. But once again, defining those cultural norms is important. And then uh, bringing those throughout all the locations where, where teams are located is extremely important. Right, thanks. And Andy, I might, I might come back to your journey as a as, as a business founder and, and, and that journey uh, in, in a moment. But perhaps next, I would, would quite like to look at international supply chains and, and trade patterns. Obviously, the industry supply chain that you're working in, raw materials coming in, manufacturing, and then the product getting shipped uh, around the world. So it's a, it's a good example of a complex multi-country um, supply chain. How are you seeing that evolve and, and change over the past few years? And you know, where do you see what are the implications of some of the changes that you've seen? The supply chain in our respective industries are extremely dynamic. So once again, both for uh, solar and energy storage, uh, we see many uh, large and expanding manufacturers who now have diversified in many countries throughout the world for different reasons. Uh, just an example of that, uh, five or six years ago, there was an emergence of a trade case between China and the US and uh, solar module manufacturing was, uh, was impacted. And so a number of facilities then shifted outside of China. Then there was another trade case that was brought out by uh, an actor in the industry that shifted the subcomponents, uh, which were solar cells. And then uh, later on, we've seen other uh, implications on impacts on, uh, on upstream polysilicon. So th there's kind of been a musical chairs of where different manufacturing facilities have had to relocate. So a lot of our inspections are actually not in China, even though we have a, an entity in China and I'm based here, our teams are traveling throughout many different regions. So uh, on the energy storage front, we see a, a demand for energy storage and the applications in, in many different parts of the world. So there are certain uh, concerns about overall safety and all, overall execution of different parts of the supply chain in different parts of the world or subcomponents related to control systems that can't come from one country versus another. So 
understanding your supply chain is not just a phenomenon of going to one country and getting it solved. It really involves someone who's very dynamic and evolving with, uh, with that. And that's part of the reason our teams are in 13 countries is the fact that we've had to build and, and create domestic capability in many different markets to help uh, respond to our clients' needs. And that's, uh, that's how we've grown and expanded over time. Thanks. Great. And yeah, so I said I'd, I'd come back to your journey. You founded Clean Energy, what was it, 12, 12 or 13 years ago, and you'd had a successful career in larger companies uh, up until that point. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, your personal journey? What caused you to set up your own business and what have the challenges been along the way? Yes. Yeah, so it, it certainly setting up uh, CA in 2008, I had no concept that I was on the cusp of a global financial crisis. So the journey was a bit uh, unpredictable at the start. I had working experience at larger tech companies, namely uh, Dell and Intel. But I, I did at that point, after working at those large companies, I had shifted to the solar industry in 2006, where I worked at Trina Solar. I was part of the executive leadership team. Uh, we actually listed the company in the New York Stock Exchange in December of 2006. It was a fantastic experience at an earlier stage of my career to be part of a, an IPO and then uh, understand the nuances of uh, being a, a senior leader within a public traded company. But after two plus years, uh, I had just got married. Uh, my wife is actually from Dallas, Texas, and we, uh, we both wanted to have a little more uh, sanity. So I want to stay married to her and not the company. And that's when I made the transition to, uh, to be full-time in Shanghai as opposed to being in the factory of Changzhou. And so uh, I set up C8 not knowing the, the global macroeconomic crisis that we were upon us, but actually I felt in a lot of ways it was the best of times and also the worst of times to set up businesses or a business, but, uh, but effectively we did not have any overhead. I did uh, keep things very lean the first couple of years and then set up an official office until uh, 2010. And then we set up a China entity that year and yeah, from there, it was uh, it was a process of really understanding where my value proposition uh, resonated with the market and listing the customers, understanding what their needs were. And so it was uh, the first three or four years, it was very frenetic. And uh, that was a, a challenging time. But as I said, you know, we kept observing and, and uh, witnessing the needs of the market. And ironically, some of the first work that we started doing around supply chain and quality, we kept hearing customers coming back to it. And I thought, well, that's so easy. Why, why is that such a need in the market? But over time, we said, we just need to double down in that one niche. And once we really established a strong team in that area, then we started to expand into more global engineering services. We set up an entity in the US, uh, hired teams in, uh, in Europe and, uh, and other regions, and uh, things kind of uh, escalated and grew from there. But it took a long time, those first few years. Uh, and I, I really fault myself for not establishing a, a clear culture and a vision and so I had to, to grow and adapt to my vision over time as things happened. But the, the reality is, was it was just about hiring the right team and getting to a certain scale. But once we had the right executives in place, we had the right team members who joined us, uh, then I would say the, the growth of the business the last you know, six to seven years has been a night and day. And so once again, having the right team, investing in the right culture, uh, that's really what's allowed our team, our, our organization to be successful. So really a lot of what I spend my time on today is cultural reinforcement and making sure the team is fully aligned with uh, what our core values are and celebrating that success and really making everyone feel as if their contributions really make a difference in our core purpose. No, it's great to see. And I know a lot of business people talk about how you know, the challenges as they go through that growth cycle of the different skills that you need to bring to the front, you know, do change over time. And it sounds like the, the challenges you face today and the things that, that take your time are, are very, very different to what they would have been in the early days. Absolutely. No, no doubt. And uh, when it was 
just myself, those first two or three years, that was by far was the most stressful uh, period of time and uncertainty. I'm very fortunate and grateful for my wife uh, to help uh, help support us in those early days. But uh, but over time, once we were able to uh, to invest in the team, build uh, strong relationships with a core set of customers, uh, and we also were fortunate to select the right customers that really grew and scaled their business. And if I look at our respective uh, client base today, you know, we work with some of the largest global uh, 50 companies, and that Fortune 50 list is very strong, and we have a lot of repeat business that is highly scalable. But it's a result of working with uh, with many clients at early stages. But we have many client relationships that are ten plus years uh, of uh, of age, and I still have a, a lot of uh, affinity towards those clients who were with us back when we were small, and then they saw our transition uh, as our team has grown and scaled. So we have uh, adapted our value proposition to help support them in many different areas, not just in solar and storage, but also emerging areas such as green hydrogen uh, or EV charging. We're seeing more and more demand for electrification really throughout uh, the overall market. And so uh, now that we have a platform and a, a highly competent leadership team, we can expand in many different areas. And that's, uh, that to me is a, is a lot of fun. Yeah, great. And I was going to ask, are, are there any particular technologies or any particular moments from a, from a digital point of view that think are, are defining moments or things that we should all be watching out for? Well, I would say in terms of our, uh, our digital uh, technology transformation. Uh, for us, uh, we've made a lot of investments, uh, particularly over the last five or six years. I would definitely highlight uh, not just our migration to an ERP, because I know that's been uh, completed by, by many organizations, but when we really created the capability of our business intelligence uh, and technology services team, we really created a platform by which we could lead to higher automation really throughout our organization. Just as an example, uh, our team just launched our uh, we call it PDC project data collector and uh, just having access to information and sharing that throughout the organization and to our clients and partners has been a, a huge transformation experience and our clients are coming back to us and using the data in, in ways that we never have had thought of before but once again having a more sophisticated uh, data infrastructure uh, has allowed us to to really meet the needs of the market and uh, that's where I, I see a lot of uh, small to mid-sized companies who were competitors in the past have kind of gone by the wayside because they can't take that level of, uh, of IT investment to the market. And that's, uh, that's where I really give our team a lot of credit and capabilities. But on a broader standpoint, once again, the technology transformation has, has uh, impacted the entire supply chain. And so we also have seen many manufacturers who are far more advanced than when I worked in the factories in 2006 to 2008. So. It's interesting to see both the transformation internally as well as in the general marketplace. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think one of the things you know we see in so many of the businesses we talk to is coming together of historically internal transformation and, and kind of customer proposition transformation were quite separate. And these days, because the data goes in and out, actually, they're almost the two sides of the same coin, all related to how, how businesses are setting up their business model for the future. On the future, Andy, final question for me, what excites you most about the future? Well, I, I will absolutely say just the overall adoption uh, and awareness of the, the need for sustainability is extremely important. There's been a proliferation of extreme weather events that have caused awareness of the importance of having robust solutions. So I myself am uh, just very enthralled by the, the number of countries around the world that really are pivoting towards carbon neutrality. I think many of these pledges are farther out in the future, many decades, uh, 2050, uh, 2060. But I think over time, as we see more and more technologies 
like solar energy storage that are lowering in cost. I think some of these carbon neutrality trends are, uh, are actually, or these, these targets are actually being pulled in. So we'll see more uh, countries that will move to the 2050, 2045, and maybe eventually 2040 timeline. And I think that is something that's very exciting to me. I have four young daughters and I'm very committed to a bright and better world for them and all their peers. So I'm very excited that as a globe, uh, many countries are committed to this cause and we're just one part of the solution. Absolutely. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolutely fascinating tour of both your journey as a business over the 12 years or so that you've been up and running, but also some of the key themes in climate and sustainability that that are just so important to all of us as citizens of the world at the moment. So really appreciate you giving your time today to join this podcast. Well, Dan, thanks again. And once again, I'd like to also thank HSBC for uh, providing this platform because I I absolutely see uh, HSBC as a a strong partner for us as we've run for the last 13 years. But I also see their commitment to sustainability as uh, being an important pledge that many other companies and and actors in the industry will uh, continue to appreciate. So uh, please keep up the good work. Thank you again, Andy. Wonderful. And to our listeners, the discussion you've heard today gives you a taster of some of the great insights and inspirational content that you will hear during our Drive 2021 event. So if you'd like to join us at Drive 2021, please click on the link in the description for this podcast and register for free. I'm very much looking forward to connecting with more businesses around the world and learning more about what drives them, the challenges they face, and the opportunities open to them. We'll also be releasing more episodes as part of the Inspiring Progressive Business series, covering topics around starting your green journey, being cyber resilient, having a purpose-led mindset, and the benefits to businesses. So please do look out for those as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.